Well, how many of you have been enjoying reading the story? Yeah, a little bit? Kind of? One of you? Mike Kaiser's enjoying it? All right, good. Praise God. How many of you want to do something else? I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a trap. It wouldn't have gone well for you. Is it, is it comforting when the pastor gets up and then lets you know, oh, yeah, I'm laying traps for you. That's good. I better pray. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm very excited about this. Oh, by the way, if you're here for the first time, we're going to give you a free copy of the story today. I'll be, at the back of the, uh, I'll be at the back of the room at this cute little table here, and I'd love to greet you if you're here. And uh, we just want to give you a copy of that so you can follow along with us. Um, the... Um, the reading that we're coming from today, we're in the, the third week, and it is about the story of Joseph. And uh, I'm excited to share the story with you. We're all pretty familiar with the story, right? I mean, how many here have never heard about Joseph before? Just raise your hand. Anyone? That's what I thought. And as I was going through this story, I noticed some characters in the story, and I want to shed some light on some of those characters. And so we're going to go ahead and go through the story, but I am going to say that word one more time, story, I'm going to point out some of the other characters who we see with God in this journey. The first thing I want to point out here that I thought was very interesting is in Genesis 37, we start out, it says, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Billah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. You know, it's interesting because whenever we read the story of Joseph, we think it's the story of Joseph, but it's not actually the story of Joseph. It's the story of Jacob. We serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as we know, Jacob becomes Israel. But the promise that God gave to Abraham is the same promise that he gave to Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve sinned. He said, I will bless your seed to Eve, remember? And he said, you will crush his head and he will bruise your heel. And he was speaking of the Christ. And the story that we're looking at is that same story of God moving to redeem man throughout history. And we find in Abraham, as we shared a couple weeks ago, a man who simply believed that God really was good. And you guys, you know that every time the enemy comes, that's really where he comes, is he, he causes us to question, is God really good? Is he really trustworthy? Is he really good enough? Is he really big enough? And that's where each one of us has to answer that question because life comes, circumstances come, and, and the enemy right there, he always consistently and constantly repeats the question, is he really good? Is he really someone we should trust? And in Abraham, he found someone who simply believed that he really was that good. He really was that big. He really was able to, to come through with the promise that he'd given. And so God said to him, Abraham, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna bless your seed. And so then Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac has Jacob. And so now we see God as he continues to be true to his word and to his promise. So this is the story of Jacob. At 17 years old, this young man, one of Jacob's sons, Joseph, brings a bad report. In other words, tells on his brothers, Dad, they're not doing good. Unfortunately, Jacob made some mistakes much like we do. I think his are rather flagrant. This is a sad part of the story. 
It says, Israel loved Joseph. Israel is Jacob. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his brothers, his other sons, because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. This is such an unnecessary tragedy because you realize Jacob had it within his power to love Joseph more than all of his other sons and they never had to know about it. He could have just secretly loved him in his heart and been really nice to all of them. If he really loved Joseph, he could have had some foresight and not put a target on him and it probably would have been a little more fun for Joseph if you think about it. So I think Jacob was really loving himself a little more maybe than he was loving Joseph. I'm just saying it's a bad deal for you parents who have more than one kid just might want to put it out there. That's uh, not a good program. So Jacob creates an environment of jealousy, and he puts Joseph in this bad spot. And then he sends Joseph to go report on his brothers again, which is just terrible. Hey, how, you know, you remember you brought me that bad report about your brothers? Well, you know, clearly you're obviously going to tell me the truth, and here's a really nice coat that lets everybody know I love you more than them. Hey, would you go check on your brothers down in Dothan, see how they're doing? Let me know how it's going. So this is the true story. I'm paraphrasing, but it's... And so he does. So Joseph went after his brothers, and he found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say a ferocious animal devoured him, and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. And Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. The first character I want to point out to you here is Reuben. This is a really important part of the story, guys. If Reuben hadn't intervened, there would be no rest of the story. It would say, and here is the line of Jacob. He had a son, Joseph. Anyway, he died. So then God had to, you know, that's, that would be it. Joseph would just be a little one-sentencer. But because of Reuben, Reuben steps in, he intervenes, and he says, don't kill him. And this is worthy of respect and honor. You know, we often think about, think about these brothers and what they did to Joseph, and it's true. It wasn't okay. It was terrible. But it wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't the end of the story. Reuben intervenes, and he saves his life. Now, Reuben apparently walks somewhere else to check on some sheep or what have you. We don't know. It doesn't say. But as he goes away, all the other brothers sit down to eat something. And Judas says to his brothers, hey, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? So apparently as soon as Reuben left, they were like, yeah, but let's kill him anyway. You know, Reuben's kind of a do-gooder. He's, you know, he used to be dad's favorite. He was the firstborn and all. And I'm a little conjecture here. But nonetheless, they were still thinking about killing him. But Judah intervenes now and says, okay, well, guys, you know what? How about we don't kill him? How about we go ahead and go with what Reuben said? He says, but let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. I mean, after all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. This to me is just what kind of brotherly relationships did they have? It's like, well, let's do him a kindness and sell him into slavery. So, but he does protect Joseph. So yet again, you have another character in the story, in, in the story of God with man that intervened, and he also has served to save Joseph's life. Now, at this time, Judah left his brothers, and he went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. Now, this is an interesting little section of the story. 
And I'm going to take you in a paraphrased version through it. So Judah has a son who marries Tamar. And he's so evil that he dies. God kills him. And I'm thinking, you know, there's a very short list of people that were so evil that God intervened and was just like, Bzzz. I mean, this dude, serious. I mean, that's a huge statement right there. There's only one sentence, but the bottom line is, this God of mercy, and, and those of you that have been going through this story saw how merciful he was with Abraham, how merciful he was with Adam and Eve, how merciful he always is. This kid, I mean, he wasn't a kid, but this young man was such a knucklehead. He was so evil that, he, that God saw that it would be better for mankind to end him. And so he, he ends him. Now, his wife Tamar, in this time, the way that, that God set up for, uh, for, his, for his people to be cared for, is that if you married a woman and you died, the way that the, the Social Security program worked in those days was that your kids took care of you when you're old. So that commandment that says, honor your mother and father, that it may go well with you, what, what's, what's also contained in that commandment is that when they get old, you care for them. They brought you into this world and cared for you when you couldn't. Well, you need to care for them when they can't care for themselves. And so the way that it was set up was that you, if you uh, married someone and, you didn't, and they didn't have children yet, your brother would take your wife, you're gone now, and he would make sure she had children. So, you know, he would care for her, he would take her as a wife, but the key thing was so that she could have children, and then she would carry on with those children as though it were your brother's kids. Does that make sense? And those kids then, so that you had social, they would care for you, they would honor you, care for you. Well, Tamar doesn't have anyone. And so Judah says to his other son, um, he says, look, take, you know, take, take your, uh, your, your sister-in-law, make her your wife, and um, get her some kids, man. And so the kid says, yeah, no problem, Dad, I'm, I've got that handled. But he didn't. He didn't handle it. He wouldn't follow through. And so what he ends up doing is he ends up not doing his husbandly duty, and he's not making any kids. Um, we're just going to leave that there. And so, uh, so God looks at him and says, you, you know, and it was totally greed-motivated, by the way. He didn't want to share he didn't want the inheritance to be in someone else's name. It was just pride and greed, good old-fashioned pride and greed. And God looks at that kid, and he says, you know what? This is very displeasing to me. And he him too. So Judah's got two sons now that God himself took off the face of the earth because they were so evil. And again, I want you to look at this in the context of the merciful and amazing God that we serve. So now Judah's lost two sons, and Tamar still does not have any children. So he says to her, Listen, I've got another son, Shayla, um, or if you're from Australia, I think it's Sheila. I don't know. Anyway, his son, Shayla, that was like, wah, wah, wah. okay, Shayla, who's too young yet to marry Tamar, and he says, listen, when he gets old enough, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, you could marry Shayla, and, um, and then that way you'll have kids. Well, time keeps on ticking by, and Judah never gives his son to Tamar, so he goes out to shear some sheep. Tamar dresses up like a prostitute, puts a veil on, um, and uh, she's out by the side of the road, and Judah sees her, and anyway, he says, you know, how's it going? What's happening? There's some conversations made, and he just basically says, hey, you know, what's, what, what do we do here? So she says, give me your cord, your staff, and your signet uh, ring, and, you know, your seal, and I'll, and I'll hold that as a pledge, and, and when we're done conducting business, you can bring back a, a sheep 
as payment. But in the meantime, I'll hold this as a pledge. He says, that sounds great. So they conduct business. He goes his way. When he comes back, she's gone. So three months later, everybody's back at home, and the people in Judah's house notice that Tamar is pregnant. And so Judah, being the righteous man that he is, says, bring her out here, and we'll, we'll burn her to death for being a prostitute. This is an awesome story. Good job, Judah. So Judah comes out, and this is what's, what's spoken. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. And Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, <laughs> since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And as she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out. And she said, so this is how you've broken out. And he was named Perez, which means breakthrough or break out, which is where we get the song, break out. No. Now, here's what's so amazing about this story. You realize this story is right in the line of the story of Joseph. How many of you remember this story? I mean, truthfully, when you think of the story of Joseph, a few of you, whenever I catch it again, it, it always catches me off guard. I forget that it's mixed in here, this part of the story of Tamar. And, and look at this. See who Tamar is and where she comes in in history. In Matthew 1, 1 through 3, whoops, come now. Let us reason together. Oh, honey. There we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. That's this woman. Isn't that a beautiful story? This woman that was left behind, this woman that was counted out, this woman that was given injustice and was left unprotected and unredeemed. And who had to find a way where there was no way. But she continued to move forward. She continued to hope and did what she could do. You, you need to understand this was, this was the option for Tamar. It, was, it wasn't the world didn't work the way that it works now. It, it worked a lot less well <laughs> then. This was her option, and so she stepped through, and Judas saw it. He said, you know what? She is more righteous than I, because I did not provide for her future. I did not give her a future and a hope, and she had to take these steps, and look at what God did. God looked in, and he said, Tamar, Jesus Christ will come through you. I will honor my promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through you. Isn't that beautiful? And this is another character in the story of God with man, the story of Emmanuel, God with us, the keeper of his promises, the redeemer of our lives, the one that sees us in the midst of the course of time, in the midst of life and the things that we see in the practical areas. He sees us, and not only does he redeem us, not only does he help us, not only does he save us, but he weaves his own story through and with us. 
What an honor. What an amazing redemption of a terrible situation. So let's talk a little bit about Joseph. So while that was happening with Judah, Joseph is in Potiphar's, Potiphar's house, prospers, gets framed, goes to prison, gets promoted, interprets some dreams for some really important people, gets forgotten, gets remembered, interprets Pharaoh's dream, gets promoted, becomes the deputy pharaoh at about age 30. So he goes to Egypt at 17. By the time he's 30, he's promoted to deputy pharaoh. Nine years or so later, his brothers show up, and he checks to see if his dad and his brother Benjamin are alive for good reason. Think about that. He knows his dad, right? He's like, oh, dad, the old lovey-dovey painter of targets on his favorite son. There's a good chance Benjamin's dead because I also know my brothers who sold me into slavery. So he checks to see if Benjamin is still alive because honestly, wouldn't you be thinking the same thing? You know, he probably cacked Benjamin because he was next, my dad's next favorite son. Joseph then creates a ruse to force his brothers to bring Benjamin back to Egypt. And then he frames Benjamin for stealing from him. <laughs> this whole story is kind of wild. I can't wait to talk to Joseph when we get there to go, honestly, some of these things you did, why? I mean, why? For one, I have a question. He was promoted for nine years as the deputy pharaoh. So at 30 years old, thereabout, he gets promoted to the most powerful man in the world, just below pharaoh. And for nine years, it never crosses his mind like, hey, guys, all of you that work for me, you know, everybody in Egypt, could you run out to Canaan, check and see if there's an old guy and 11 sons and how they're doing, get some information? It, I'm just saying that's an interesting, isn't that, maybe that's just me. At any rate, well, I'm going to ask those questions, so just get ready, Joseph. So at this point, we see something amazing, okay? So Joseph creates this, this ruse to say that Benjamin has stolen his, his, his chalice that he uses for divination. And those of you that have read the story, you know right what I'm talking about. And those that you haven't, the story is right there. You can purchase it and start reading it. It's awesome. You'll catch right up. We're only in week three. See how I did that? Okay. So Joseph was sold into slavery 23 years ago. And after 23 years now, he's standing with his brothers. A lot has happened. Judah is standing there before him. And at this point, as you know in the story, they brought Benjamin, the youngest son, because Joseph has said, I won't sell you any more grain during this famine unless you bring Benjamin to me. So Judah has made a promise to his father, Israel, listen, I will take care of this kid by my own life. I swear to you, this kid is going to come back alive. But if we don't go get grain in Egypt, we're all going to starve to death anyway. So now they come, and Joseph has set up this ruse to say that Benjamin has stolen from him. And he said, whoever we find this cup in their possession, they're going to become a slave for the rest of their life and serve me because they've stolen from me. And so, of course, as you know, they, they hid it in Benjamin's sack, so they find it in Benjamin's sack, and things are not going well. Apparently not going well for me either. Come on, sweetheart. Did we freeze up here? Can you do it automatically over there to the next one? Do you have it, Joe? 
There we go. So Judah says, your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please, this is Judah speaking to Joseph, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return with his brothers. In 23 years, Judah went from becoming the man that sold his brother into slavery to being the man that would redeem his brother's life with his own life by going into slavery. You see that? Judah has had a huge transformation. Now, you, that, that, that right there is a beautiful part of the story. Now, here's, here's an interesting thing. When Judah responds from this place, at that point then, Joseph's heart is broken wide open, and he reveals who he is. He reveals that he is their brother. He reveals that, that, um, that, that all the good stuff that you know in this story. But it, but it is amazing to see that the change of heart that had happened in the brothers, this is what also opened up a change of heart for Joseph to see that this was indeed a redemption story. So, as we know, Joseph then sends for his father. And he says, bring him to Egypt. And this, this is what we read as Israel then hears that his son is alive and he sees all the carts and all the good stuff that's going on. And he says, okay, I'm going to go back to Egypt then. And he sets out with all that's his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at that night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father. And he said, do not be afraid to go to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will, will close your eyes. What a beautiful story now of God healing Israel's heart, but also keeping his promise. You want to know what's interesting is this great nation that's moving from Canaan to Egypt at this time. There were 66 people with Jacob at this point. And so if you mix in Joseph and his wife and his two sons, because we know that Israel adopts Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, Joseph's two sons, the whole nation of Israel at this time is 70 people. So God's saying, come to Egypt, you know, great nation, Jacob, <laughs> and there I will make you a great nation. So we see that God is continuing to keep his promise to Abraham. It's really going slow. Okay. Now, this is God's promise to Abraham, if you'll remember from last week. The Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out of it with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age in the fourth generation your descendants will come back here. They'll come back to Canaan. This was the promise to Abraham. And now Isaac has, has, has been born and has died. Now we see Israel actually taking the nation of Israel, the promises of God, into Egypt to be increased, to become a great nation. And we don't, we don't have an exact number of how many came out of Egypt when they do leave Egypt, but it was well in the, in the millions at that point, at least a million. But... Um, conjecture is what about three million or so 
Yeah, I mean, you can only get so far, but it's a whole lot more than 70, suffice it to say. It's a whole lot more than the uh, Eugene Springfield Junction City area that God brought into Egypt as he's keeping his word. All of this is part of God's grand redemption plan to save all of mankind from sin and death. Now, Israel has continued to move forward. He's continued to live out his days. He really hasn't done everything right. He really hasn't, you know, made every perfect decision. He's made a few good decisions. But God has made every perfect decision. God keeps coming in and making sure that he's going to keep his promise that in Abraham all nations will be blessed. Now, here's what's interesting. Joseph, well, I'm going to get to Joseph in a minute. So here's what's interesting. Israel now is getting ready to die. And he's going to bless all of his sons. And so he blesses, he, he adopts Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And he prays blessings on everyone. But this is interesting because he prays for Judah. This is where he blesses Judah and he says this. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Who is that? Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of Jesus. Judah is the one who is in the line of Jesus, not Joseph. So Joseph, faithful though he was, in his part of the story, is a part of the story. And Judah is a part of the story. And Tamar is a part of the story. And Israel, did I already say Israel? Is a part of the story. And you are a part of the story. Because you, just like these people, are with Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is God with us. And he is the same God. The word says that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he kept his promise to Abraham, not just through one person, not just through one son, not just through one individual superstar, superhero person, but through all of these people. And you can see how interdependent it is as God moves in, as he works with those that are faithful, as he works with those who will give them what they have. And in and through them, as you will see it, it, it laid out in the grand narrative, Christ came. And through Christ, we've all been redeemed. I felt like this morning, I want to go ahead and have the ushers come. I want to pass out uh, the elements for communion. I felt like this morning what God really wanted to release today as we're looking at the story of seeing Joseph in the, in the faithfulness that he finally came to, to walk in. And we see his final thoughts here as the brothers were afraid that after Israel died that he would then go ahead and take revenge for what they'd done to him. And so they came and said, please, you know, don't, don't, don't hurt us, have mercy on us. And, and even in that point, they're a little deceptive because they said, our dad told us to tell you not to hurt us which we don't know if that really happened, but that's what they said. You know, well, we'll tell him that dad said before he died, don't kill us. 
And, and Joseph says to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You know, Joseph's name, um, it means increase. And it's interesting that Joseph was the one that God chose to go to Egypt to spend 23 years in rescue school and then rescue Israel. And not only Israel, but everyone on the face of the earth at that point because it says the famine was all over the entire earth. But God called Joseph. He was with Joseph. And then at the end, Joseph begins to understand that it's actually God in whom our hope is. It's in him that we find our place in the story. Does that, does that make sense? And so then he, as he sees that, he's even able to look at his brothers and say, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? I trust that if he's done this, it was for his good reason. Can't you see that through these things, even though they were terrible, he worked it to good that we would all be saved together? And every one of us today, this is the part where, where I want you to see yourself in some of these characters. I want you to resonate that this same God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, has made a promise that he will complete the good work that he began in you for his good purpose. And so the, the, the onus, the pressure, the, the responsibility is on him to complete the good work. The resp our responsibility is to trust him and not try to pop out of the process, but rather to trust him in the midst of that process. You know, he's called us to holiness because he's holy and he has a wonderful purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, it hasn't changed. It's the same as it was from the very beginning, that we would be with him and that we would be holy. And the things that have separated us from him are sin and death. And so he's made this way through Christ so that we no longer have to be separated. We can actually co-labor with him. But where we, where we can find ourselves in this, in this life, I believe, is sort of missing the point that we're in that story now. And we, we feel like, well, what's my part? Am I, really, am I really important in all of this? Am I really important in this life? Is, am I playing an important part in all of that? And, and I would say the answer to you has to be absolutely yes. Whether you're at the point where you're Judah, who, who played that small part to make sure that Joseph wasn't killed. Whether you're Tamar, who's gone through injustice, but God is redeeming that. Whether you're Joseph, who's gone through injustice and forgiven, and you get to bring salvation to others. Whether you're Israel, who believes God. And you know what I think the truth is? I think that we can identify with every single one of those characters because we've all played different parts, including the part where we sold our brother. Thank you. I'm trusting that as we take communion today, I'm trusting that God 
is working in each of us to understand and to see from a larger perspective that we are in this same story where God promised to Abraham, I will bless all nations through you. I will redeem, I will make, I will bring hope, I will heal all nations through you. And we know that in Christ, he answered that. But the, but the thing that we must see now is that Christ did come and he did die and he was raised again and he said, it is finished, which means redemption is available. But if we don't understand that we're carrying that kingdom in us right now, then we don't understand we're still part of the story. Because not everybody has yet encountered the gospel of this very God who made these promises. And when we don't see our part in that story, when we don't see ourselves as a part of that grand narrative to co-labor with God at whatever stage that we're in, we will miss out on the glory and the goodness of this unfolding, beautiful story that God is still writing today. And so today I simply ask this. I, I want to leave today on a, on a, on a con contemplative note. I'm not looking for a big finish or a great emotional uh, response, really. I mean, it's nice. It's in a self-serving sort of way. But, but what I really am asking is that the Holy Spirit of God would work deeply in us, that we would begin to trust him at a level of what we're seeing in how he's worked with man throughout all of history. And that we would be inspired that, that, that our small part is also being written down. And you might find out that your small part is a lot bigger than you thought. I guarantee that Tamar had no idea that God planned to redeem the earth through her offspring. I doubt that Judah knew that God would choose him to, to, to be the one. And, and when, so when they say about Jesus that he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, this is that Judah. That God would redeem him from one who sells his own brother into slavery to one who, re, who looked to redeem his brother from slavery and whose offspring redeemed all of us from slavery. So my question is this. Leave in a contemplative manner today asking the Lord to help you to begin to understand and to see and to live from the place that you are in this story. This is the bread which was broken for us. And this is the blood which was poured out for the redemption of sins. This is the promise that God gave to Abraham that in his seed, Christ Jesus, all nations would be blessed. Let's take this in remembrance of him. Father, I pray today, as we prepare to leave, that Holy Spirit, you would bring such clarity, such awareness, such joy for the reality that you, Emmanuel, God with us, you are continuing to redeem this earth and all that are on it. And Lord, show us with clarity and with conviction, and with joy, that the part that we're playing is important. Lord, that we would respond, and that we would give our whole selves to you and to the part you've given us. 
we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here for the first time, I would love to meet you at the back. And as I said, we'd love to give you a gift. We're giving a copy of the story to those of you that want to come and shake my hand. I know we have to bribe people to shake my hand. May the Lord bless you and keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and give you peace.